Well, hello and welcome to What's Brewing CISFA. What's Brewing CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community College's Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. This is a return to our normally on Tuesday news show, uh, but I'm still running a day late. So as such, it's just you, me, and the news today, and we'll have Dana on our next episode. Let's get this going. And let the music fade out, and welcome to another episode of What's Brewing Sisva. Let's start the show off with our first cup. It's actually a little, uh, it's a little late to have that first cup only because it's an afternoon taping of the show. Well, most of the other staff are busy, busy, busy. So um, I want to welcome myself back from vacation. Hopefully for that first week and a half when I did not post any episodes, you all got along just swimmingly without me. Uh, hopefully you also, though, listen to the set of eight what I call makeup episodes that I kind of put out in the same day. Uh, I, I kind of timed them to go out a half an hour apiece uh, between them uh, so that they guess it and all load up. Uh, I thought I'd put them out, you know, a couple every day, but once you get into that habit of just uh, putting it on a schedule, it was so much easier to just say, okay, we'll just release them every half hour. You know, we wouldn't want to overload the people at Podbean uh, handling our show. And the multiple millions of people who downloaded. Apparently the only way to get those kind of figures is to have someone from a K-pop group. So we'll see. Uh, I guess I was reading an article where the average YouTube uh, viewings of like the press secretary for the president. uh, When they do their little gaggle thing is about 50,000. But they may have had one recently that hit 2 million and apparently it was because I think someone from a K-pop group came to talk and say something. So that's kind of interesting. I don't think if we ever hit 2 million people for an episode, let alone 200, I'd be very, very surprised. So today it's back into the regular news. And so we have a lot of news that's been held over the last couple of weeks. And we'll try to get through as much as possible so I don't have to hold over anything for next week. First and foremost, most people in financial aid heard about this just a couple weeks ago. On May 18th, uh, Dear Colleague Letter number 22-06 came out, talking about changes to the 2022-2023 verification requirements. And as summarized, the letter provided information about the extension of a waiver of certain verification requirements for the coming award year. As a result of the ongoing economic, social, and physical impacts of COVID-19 pandemic. So those who are in the field in financial aid know that over the last year or so, we've had a waiver of much of the verification requirements from students or from the federal government where students did not have to do all the things they're used to doing in verification. In short, what verification is for those who are outside the industry you as a student or as a parent helping your student, you fill out that FAFSA, that federal aid form. The results come in. 
and a school can process it to determine eligibility and award aid. But for up to 30% and now quite a bit less, students are picked uh, based upon a formula the federal government has to go through a process called verification. And in general, it means that we're going to verify some income and some other items from the FAFSA. So this is where we collect tax returns and things like that. Well, during the pandemic, because it wasn't that easy to get those kind of things from students submitted securely, the federal government put a waiver in. And we thought for the coming school year, that waiver would be over with. But apparently, as most things with the federal government, they take their time to decide. And they have decided, kind of in the favor of students, to continue the waiver of these requirements into the 2022-2023 award year. So, again, the focus instead is going to be on identity and fraud uh, as part of the verification requirements. And, again, that's kind of like a subset of verification where, again, based upon certain types of actions upon the student's part or other information, a school may have to verify the student's identity, get from them a statement of educational purpose, which in a sense is the student signing and doubling down that they are in an educational program for the purposes of getting educated and that they're using their aid accordingly. So those items still will exist. But again, that's a smaller set of overall applicants. So I'm not going to go into more detail. Most of my colleagues know and have heard of this, and we were all cheering loudly when we did. So I will give you a link in the show notes to get to this from the Federal Student Aid website. Continuing on then with some more news from our friends at the California Student Aid Commission. I've got a trio of special alerts that came out recently. First one came out May 24th, and this is special alert number 2022-34. And it is the state's response to the verification waiver. So this special alert, you know, provides an update regarding changes to the administration of Cal grants and middle-class scholarship programs for the coming year in light of that recent announcement by the U.S. Department of Ed. So, again, because there's requirements in state law stated in certain ways, uh, the Student Aid Commission has to put out there for the processing of state aid how these kinds of things like the changes on the federal level will affect students on the state aid level. So there's, of course, talk about temporary changes to verification, uh, other things like, for example, selective service, we've talked about that quite a bit, how that is no longer a requirement. And that was put out in a different special alert back in 2021 towards the end of the year. Uh, <clears throat> now, as does state here, and I do try to remind people, quote unquote, while selective service registration remains a federal requirement for males between the ages of 18 and 25, it is no longer considered a requirement to receive federal or state financial aid in California. So that's just a reminder that comes off of that special alert. On to the second special alert, number 35, put out on May 26. This is just a reminder of some upcoming virtual training events for the month of June. And so first, it tells you a little bit about a reminder that the annual statewide financial aid workshop series will, beginning, will be beginning in August 
both virtual and in person. Uh, but as far as going for June and beyond, we've got Cal Grant Regional Training starting up. I uh, see here we've got section uh, or session A on CSAC updates, institutional eligibility, and a Cal Grant overview on Monday, June 20th in the afternoon. If you want to learn about disbursements and payments, payment scenarios, navigating web grants, and more, there's a Tuesday, June 21st session in the afternoon. And then lastly, in what they call their Session C, if you want to learn more about foster youth programs and middle-class scholarships, there will be session on Wednesday, June 22nd in the afternoon, along with some other uh, specialized webinars coming up on programs for foster youth. That's kind of a truncated uh, thing on foster youth programs. Something on this LEAP program, the Learning Aligned Employment Program. And then some other things on CalGram 101 and more. So again, I'll give you links to all these special alerts in our show notes. One last special alert, number 36, coming out May 26th. And this was about 2021-22 Chafee Foster Grant Program Updates. So this is an update on the program, in particular about opening of the summer term. So what they're telling us is that in their systems, that they have made it so that, in a sense, we can process these Chafee Grants for our foster youth and former foster youth for summer. So it's just a reminder uh, as far as some of how the details and the technical aspects go for processing Chafee grants. These are extra grants up to $5,000 a year that aid applicants who are foster youth or former foster youth meet certain requirements can receive on top of other aid. And oftentimes these students do receive things like Pell Grant from the federal government and Cal Grants from the state. So it's additional funding because if you think about it, more than likely, foster youth would probably not have the same parental support available to help pay for the cost of schooling. So that takes care of our state front. Let's go back to a couple things coming out of NASFA. So we've talked quite a bit over in multiple shows, probably over the last hundred episodes, about FAFSA simplification. So, you know, we have a variety of information that came out of that, you know, Consolidated Appropriations Act. And that included a lot about FAFSA simplification. So if you've ever wondered where all that information is easy to find, NASFA is your friend. So they have a page just called FAFSA Simplification. And it's got a variety of resources coming from them, including a summary of all the non-PEL federal methodology changes, uh, the timeline of effective dates uh, from the, uh, as mentioned in the Appropriations Act. They've even, got an, they've even got the 2024-2025 federal methodology and Pell formula changes flow chart and some other Q&A out here, along with some other resources, including their coverage that they've done in their today's news coverage over the last, looks like over the last year or so. So I'll give you a link to the FAFSA simplification page in case you've ever wanted to know more or fill in some gaps. In fact, I know I need to go out here because I have some gaps in my memory <laughs> and some of it caused by uh, the fact that it's hard to keep up on things when they're talking about things that could take three or four or more years 
till not only they're enacted and put in place, but that you really have to worry about how it's going to affect you, let alone their students. On to another NASA item. I always love these, that they keep in their tools and resources, a pop quiz. And this one happened to be on SAP because I'd been working on some things regarding SAP, satisfactory academic progress. And in particular, this was the pop quiz. Has the student exceeded their maximum time frame for SAP? And so it gives you an idea here. The school is a community college offering associate degrees. The student has been considering changes to their progress based on an environmental scan of other college practices. Or I should say the school has. So the school's been looking at some changes to their SAP policy. They found some community colleges' maximum time frame state that if a student is returning to study another major within the original associate degree program, let's say like an associate of science versus an associate of arts, the student could not receive additional Title IV aid for these courses. Is this an accurate reflection of the regulations? If a student at our school completes an associate of science in math, for example, but comes back for an associate in science in theater, would the student be ineligible for Title IV aid? Short answer, the answer is no. The student would be eligible in this circumstance. And so it, it gives you some information to look in the Federal Register going back to 2010 uh, and such. But the maximum time frame applies to a student's current program of study. For the student in this scenario that I just talked about, Credits already earned now all, that also count towards the student's current program could be counted and would be counted, but the maximum time frame is then is established based on the remainder of the credits needed for the student's current program of study. So it's kind of a straightforward thing, but I think some of us do get kind of lost in the idea that <clears throat> we have a student at our school and they've earned a degree or such, and thus we just keep that whole count going. In some ways we do. Because, again, every time that student might get Pell Grant and all, that's another semester of Pell Grant taken, and there is some limits to those things. Let's do a more, couple more NASA things, hit our break here. Uh, there was a new report released in May, uh, and this comes out from NASA, uh, called Protecting Borrowers and Advancing Equity. And so, in this report, NASA seeks to fill the gaps in the conversation by providing some policy solutions to address underlying flaws in student repayment and servicing systems in the report, uh, which was funded by Arnold Ventures. Arnold Ventures, uh, two separate words there. It outlines recommendations to improve student loan servicing practices, rethink the terms and conditions of student loan repayment, increase institutional and program accountability, and reform student loan default. And so the nice thing here is on the NASA page, they do have a, a bunch of bullets, bulleted items here as far as recommendations that came out of the report. I think you should, though, go and download this report scene. It's only a couple weeks old. It's fresh. Read through it if you're concerned about student loans and how we might make the system better for students. Our last NASA item, I think, <laughs> unless I've got like a job posting I'll give you at the end of the show is a article from one of their reporters titled aid offices worry about future ability to serve students 
remain administratively capable amid crisis staffing issues. I will agree with this regardless at this point. So a new survey from member institutions underscore the precarious position many financial aid offices find themselves in as a result of staff departures and difficulty filling openings during this pandemic. I think I did take this survey because I did have all the types of things that you could expect. Retirements, staff moving to other campuses, all those things have affected student workers graduating. And then just sometimes, you know, having to beat the brows of people to uh, get them to allow me to fill these positions. So the good thing is the article gives you a good summary of what's out there in the report and the type of worries that we have out here in uh, the financial aid world. But it also has a link straight to the report and the survey in the article. So I'm going to give you a link to the article. Find that survey. See what your counterparts say about their worries. Well, before we continue, though, I think we need a little bit of music. And we got more news to come. I'm back and what could I be back for what else but our second part of the show here what of course we call our second cup had to be quick with the buttons there something off topic I have to say I have what they call the road made by road or R-O-D-E the Roadcaster Pro which probably was the leader in getting out in the field sometime in 2019, maybe 2018, with an all-in-one, meant for podcasting recording, unit. So it's got microphone inputs, inputs for other audio sources. It's got buttons on it that you can program music and things. You know, we've got the sound effect. We've got the sound effect. And, of course, music beds like this. Well, Rhodes outdone themselves. They now have the Roadcaster 2 coming out. So it's not much more expensive. Looks almost about the same as far as width and all that. But it does even more than what this one does. So if you hear me sounding even better than ever before, sometime in a month or so, because I'm sure they are going to be backlogged for a while, like when I bought mine, I had to wait a little bit. Um, you'll know Dennis has gone to Roadcaster 2. But on with the news. Coming from the College Investor website, uh, just an update. This was information available earlier in May from Mark Kantrowitz. He wrote a nice article here giving us a good summary of interest rates for student loans that are for the coming 2022-23 academic year, just to let you know how things are going. So according to this, for undergraduate federal direct Stafford loans, Subsidized and unsubsidized loans, the interest rate will be 4.993%. This is up from 3.7, give or take, in last this current school year. And it used to be 2.75 in the 2020-21 school year. For graduate students taking direct student loans, 
the rate goes up to 6.543. The year before it was 5.28. So it's over, you know, we're talking over 1% plus on all these levels. Now for federal direct parent loans, what we call plus loans, and for graduate students who take out a completely different animal here called direct grad plus loans, those loans are now going to be pegged at 7.543%, up from, again, 6284 So, again, another whole point increase. And this, these are the interest rates that apply only to new loans dispersed between July 1st of this year through June 30th of next year. Old loans do not have rates that change. Those are fixed interest rates, everybody. But we do want to let you know about this information. So if you ever wondered how it was set, though, according to this, and, I, you know, we kind of knew about all this, the interest rates for federal student loans are based on the high yield of the last 10-year Treasury note auction in May, as specified by Congress in the Higher Education Act of 1965, as amended. The high yield for the auction that occurred on May 11th was 2.943, up from 1.684, <clears throat> and thus that's why interest rates have gone up. Interest rates have increased in part because of moves by the Federal Reserve Board to control inflation. Keep that in mind. So it says here, what will happen with the interest rates on private loans? Now, this is its own section of this article. So I'm not even going to go into the detail of it because it gets a little more complicated. It talks about stuff like LIBOR and a secured overnight fund rate, SOFR. So let's not get into that. But it gives you some good information here. And I'd say Mr. Kantrowitz always provides good information and it even has some stuff here that you can calculate, like the impact of interest rate increases. You know, like if you borrow $10,000 for 10 years, what would be that difference of costs to you from, say, a loan you took out last year to the coming year? So great information here. I will give you the link to the College Investors article so you can see this for yourself. Continuing on from the higher ed dive, they had an article about financial aid administrators calling for student loan system reforms. And this was, again, it points to information from NASFA and the recommendations that they've offered up on behalf of their members, like schools like mine, about how we look at student loans and potential student loan forgiveness and all. Uh, that gets rounded about as far as other things. More importantly, of course, on the front, student loan servicing, how the Department of Ed works with servicers to handle the servicing and uh, all that coordination uh, with the agencies that do the collections from the students, handle the customer service aspects and all of that. Loan repayment options. You know, there's just so many different options at this stand, at this time in time, uh, you know, we have to consider that too. So uh, I'll give you uh, the link to the article. It talks a little bit also about loan defaults. Those, of course, have kind of disappeared during this pandemic because everyone was put on hold. But it's going to be interesting to see what the recommendations are when we get out of this hall. Another great article here coming from Inside Higher Ed. A bit of an opinion piece, so take it as it is. So this is titled, Doubling Pell Isn't Enough Without Deeper Reforms. And so put out here by David Ferreira, uh, the, his subline here is the Pell Grant should be doubled, but it should only be applicable to institutions where Pell combined with other forms of aid covers 80% of the cost of attendance. 
So that's an interesting take on what we think about how far Pell dollars go. So he's got quite a good article here quoting on a number of different uh, information from the College Board, the Urban Institute, Institute uh, National College Attainment Network, NCAN, as far as, again, as long as Pell Grant, in a sense, is part of a larger structure of schools utilizing institutional dollars in such, in a sense, to lower those overall costs to students to go to school. So according to this, he is, if you ever wonder who David Ferrer is, he's the provost at Charter Oak State College in Connecticut and has been in higher ed for 15 or more years. So it is his opinion, but I thought it was a pretty good article worthwhile reading. Now, some of this stuff I'm going to save for another day. Uh, so let's uh, move on with a little bit of music and then we'll have just a few more things to fill in for you here on the show. Okay, I wanted to get ourselves into our last part of the show here. What else do we call it but the last sip? And that's all you get for a last sip today because all I'm drinking is Coke Zero. Keep myself awake in the afternoon. And if you were awake, you'd be thinking, how could I get some free training? And that's my I dare you to, is to look at free training. Even if you're not in our industry and you got some time on your hands and you can get away, why not? Uh, now, some of this stuff I'm going to talk about today, and this is all stuff coming from Adigo, A-T-T-I-G-O, by Ascendium. A lot of this training is, of course, focused on higher ed, but occasionally they have some topics that more on customer service and personal development. So let's see what they're offering up here, and I'll give you individual links for their three offerings here. They've got one called Exploring Students, Money, and Their Relationships. This will be training coming up on Thursday, June 16th at 2 o'clock Central Time. So for us here on the West Coast, make that a noontime training. Only 60 minutes. And this is learning about the relationships of money in our lives, in particular for our students. So they're going to look at, you know, factors that shape a student's view, mistaken beliefs, our students have about money and ways to help students develop healthy financial behaviors. Again, free training. Why don't you consider some? Another one, very higher ed focus here. This one's titled Navigating First Generation Students to Success on Tuesday, June 14th at 9 a.m. our time here on Pacific Coast. So 11 o'clock Central, according to them. Again, only 60 minutes, you know, talking about how we define our first-generation students, uh, what kind of common barriers they have that we have to overcome, and how do we build a community of support for these students to keep them on track, get them through college. And then lastly, I like this one because the little graphic they put next to the training is this poor uh, cartoon lady slumped over with her head on her laptop. So you can imagine this one is not specific to higher education, but it's called Identifying and Managing Workplace Stress. Coming out on Tuesday, June 7th 
at noon Pacific time. Again, only 60 minutes. But, you know, understanding uh, and knowing the sources of stressors and stress, knowing the warning signs and symptoms, and some strategies for managing stress and preventing some burnout. So I think the graphic alone says it. Again, if it's free training, sign up and get some help, however you can. Again, in our three topics, you know, exploring students' money in their relationships, navigating first-generation students' success, and lastly, all of us out there, identifying and managing workplace stress. So that's really all I have for today's show. I guess I do have some news articles that are going to hold over for another day. But that's okay. We'll hopefully have one more show this week, and then we'll do news again next week. So I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning in. And this has been episode number 192, recorded Tuesday, June 1st, 2022. What's Brewing CISFA is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of me and David Yarpro. And as always, I want to tell you all, have a great day and have a great week.